Most of us never learned how to train our brains, which is why most of us needlessly settle, struggle, and worse, suffer. My name is Chris Doris, and I want to make brain training mainstream. This is my series, Tough Talks, Conversations on Mental Toughness. I'm interviewing badasses from all walks of life on what mental toughness means to them and their unique approaches to strengthening their minds. Hey folks, welcome back to Tough Talks, Conversations on Mental Toughness. I am your host, Chris Doris, and I am beyond pumped to share our guest with you today, Dr. Allison Arnold, or more casually, Doc Alley, has been for the last quarter century uh, one of the most important people in my world. She, I, uh, after graduate school, we started uh, a practice together. She had actually started it before me, and, and then I, I joined her, a practice in sports psychology. <laughs> which was the, the launching pad for my career, you could say. And I spent the better part of a decade working with her and learning from her on a daily uh, basis, not just how to, how to run a business. In fact, it's far more about how to run a life, how, how to be. Uh, you know, she, she has been a mentor to me, again, professionally, but also personally and spiritually. Ali is, is somebody that has done more intense, wild, unusual, cool as hell sorts of personal development um, investments, right? Taking trips around the world uh, to invest in her, the heightening of her own consciousness, which if you've listened to any of these tough talks before, you know, is part of the way, is one of the ways that I define mental toughness. Like I use the words mental toughness and enlightenment synonymously. The word enlightenment has the word lightness. Lightness of being is highly intelligent. It maximizes the probability of being a badass. That's mental toughness. It's all the same shit, just different nomenclature. So Allie is one of the most mentally tough people I've ever met in my life. And so for the last 25 years, she's worked with Olympic medalists, NCAA champions, and thousands of athletes who are chasing their dreams. After receiving her PhD in psychology, she spent 12 weeks studying the mind with the masters in Nepal. I remember that because we were in practice together. Uh, she, then at, later, she spent four more weeks in a Thai forest monastery. <laughs> Who does these things? She has great stories about these experiences, naturally. Uh, she spent three weeks in the Amazon jungle in Peru. Two weeks in silence. Check, imagine that. Two weeks in silence at a, a California-based retreat center that's run by a guy named Jack Cornfield, integrating all this. Can you imagine? Like, two weeks in silence. Who does these things? Well, she does. A former gymnast herself, she's relentless about helping people reach their potential, and, uh, and I can attest to that. Uh, she's been a mental toughness coach for USA Gymnastics since 1997, and Doc Alley is consistently invited as a contributor to regional and national USA Gymnastics Congress Congresses, as well as industry publications and websites around the world. As I mentioned, not to beat a dead horse here, but I got to tell you, I'm pretty pumped to have Doc Alley on. She's a pretty busy person, and she's, uh, as I said, well, I didn't say this, but I will say it. Um, if you ask me, you know, who are the top three most influential people in your life? She's on that list. She's on that very short list. So all that said, let's go find her. She's here somewhere waiting for us. Let's go meet Doc Alley.
Here I am. I'm there, here. there she is. I'm here. <laughs> hello. Hello, my friend. Hello. Doc Ellie, I can't tell you how excited I am to have you on. So people know, I want to give a little context, okay, to the, to the audience so they know how special of a conversation this is for me. If, if you're to ask me who, you know, who are living who are the three most influential people in your life? You're the only one, <laughs> oh, right? Three most. You try. Well, we, we you can. That's safe. <laughs> it's a safe place. The tough talks, right. conversations. The toughness doesn't mean not crying. In fact, if anything, it probably means having the courage to express your emotions authentically, which is something that you and I are going to talk about today. But uh, just, I really do want people to know how special this is because you're you have been played many roles in my life. Among them is a mentor, a business partner, right, and a dear dear friend like a bestie, right? And um, I have, I could never repay you. I'm just going to gush for a second, okay? Because like, I, I, I have to do this for me. Um, it, it, the debt I have to you is not payable. I can't, I can't ever pay you back because of what you've done for me as a human, right? And then, and then as a professional. You got me started. You're the one that actually talked me out of getting my damn PhD. I remember. Thank I you. Oh, Thank forget you. it. Let's go. Every Let's time go start I get... a business. Let's go start a business instead. Yeah. Right, right. You said, but you, but you said it like, so I got into the doctoral program because and I, and I was only going because I thought I needed to in order to do what we're doing, right? And, um, and you, in your infinite wisdom, who interestingly had your PhD already, said, maybe you could defer for a year, which means you could still go next year. But let's just, you know, we, did, we met each other through a mutual friend and discovered, oh my God, we have so many similarities on so many levels, right? Professionally, spiritually, and personally. Oh. And, uh, and so we we're like, let's just go start a, a, a practice together. You had actually already started it. You had already started Head Games. I just jumped in and, and, and rode for a while and you launched me <laughs> into, um, you know, what I consider to be a dream vocation. So let's just start with a big old thank you. Oh, my friend, I love you. I love you, and we have lifted each other along this crazy ride on the loony balloon. So, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> so, as as I just read to the folks in in your bio, um, yeah, you've done some pretty wild stuff, and 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 let me just have because I don't even know if you and I have ever even really talked about this whole tough talk series and like why am I even doing it? And to remind anybody that's listening for the first time or not. Uh, why this even exists is because it's another way, it's a methodology for me to be more of service, to, to, to share with, what, with people, as many as I can, what I consider to be one of the most important things in life, which is the ability to invest and strengthen the way that you're, you use your mind, because that governs how your life unfolds. And you've taught me so much about that. And um, so, so what I'm doing is I'm, you know, I invite people whose paths I cross, who I... Um, have some reason to believe demonstrate mental toughness in some capacity. I'm, and I'm inviting a diversity of folks. Like we've had, you know, NFL Hall of Famers and, and superstars, and we've had ultra marathoners, and we've had CEOs and like badass salespeople, you know, a documentarians. Um, <clears throat> so the, and 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 they're they're all giving. And I ask them all like, how do you define in your unique way what mental toughness is? Now, I have been waiting with bated breath to ask you that question because, you know, and, and I would, I, I'm requesting 
that we unapologetically go big with that. Like let's try. So people, I think professionally, uh, if people look at your internet presence, right? They'll say, okay, so Allie is, and, and, and rightfully so, she is the go-to mental coach for gymnastics on the planet Earth. But we know that mental toughness is, far transcends the sport. Definitely. Okay. And, mm-hmm. and if anybody could articulate it, or have a fun dialogue on it, that, that I could have a fun dialogue on it with, it, it, it's you. And that's why I'm so psyched. That's one of the reasons, that I'm, many reasons I'm so excited to have this conversation. So let's talk about that. Mm-hmm. Right. So, so let, me, let me start with, 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 with this question, okay? You, you've, you, as I mentioned in, your intro, in the intro, uh, you, you've done some pretty wild, uh, unusual things. Investing in yourself, investing in your own consciousness, personal development, spiritual development. Or I say that's mental toughness, okay? That there's really no difference between those things. You've spent three months uh, in Nepal with monks, another month in a monastery in Thailand, uh, three weeks in the Amazon in Peru, another couple weeks in silence. At the, it was Jack Canfield's deal, right? Jack Cornfield, yeah. Jack Canfield, <laughs> right? Cornfield, got the wrong field. Can. Corn. Cornfield, corn. 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 not canfield. Corn, yeah. not can. Corn. Right. Can corn. So, right. yeah, so that's not typical stuff. No, no. Why? Why'd you do all that? Well, I think, again, we know each other so well, but I, ever since I was a little girl, I was fascinated by the human condition. And I was fascinated by how people created their lives. And I even remember when I was little that I thought people were so beautiful and had such an amazing gift to give. And this is like, 13 years old, 14 years old, Mm. that I was fascinated by people's beauty and by people's gift. And I I feel like at an early age, I made this commitment, and this commitment goes right in with your mission and purpose, and that's why I think we connect so well. I made a commitment to live big and go big and be, as you talk about, all in. And I feel like that's why. I went to Nepal and lived in the monastery there in Thailand and in Peru is that I was, I continually was searching for ways to unwrap my own fear, to unwrap my own ego Mm. and, and see how I could like pull open my heart to live big. And what I found that stops me the most, and this is going back to your question on mental toughness, what I found that was stopping me the most were my thoughts, were my own mind and the thoughts that I would talk about and the narratives that I would create and that I would get um, information that supported them and and all of that. And and so really um, so much of those experiences and, and every experience is still trying to unleash unleash myself, unleash my love, unleash my joy. Um, and I think that's kind of a mission that we share. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So um, <clears throat> how do you define, like if you had to do it succinctly, I don't know if that's possible. I can do it. All right. Okay. All right. What great. What does mental toughness mean to you? Okay, everyone just notice you keep going, Ali. And this is something I always I point out, and then you, here you are. 
<laughs> I talk about you so much. And when we're in, um, like I'm in a coaching session and we're talking about being presence, being present. And I always tell stories of how when we were working together, you'd walk in the office and I'd say, hey, dude, how you doing? And you would do this. You would, get, you would look up or close your eyes, take a while. So like people are listening to this on the radio. <laughs> oh, that's, no. That's what's happening, right? Is, is Allie is being really mindful with her response. So anyway, I wanted to point that out. I was hoping that we would have that experience. Of course we did are having that. So sorry to interrupt your thoughts. <laughs> so as I like take a deep breath and, and kind of get in touch with, that's because I have so many thoughts spinning around my head, dude, that I, <laughs> I have to. Yeah, you know, but you know the deals. Like when people, especially like on a radio show, you feel right, like you right. need to feel the noise. And not just on a radio damn show or, or, or a video blog, at a freaking party. Just say, hey, how you doing? You know, or like any, just any question. We feel like we need to, like part of our conditioning, right, is, is our, or as you mentioned, like uh, you found the, the thing that stood between you and your, your greatness and your excellence the most is your thoughts. The thought is, I better say something fast, or I better fill the void, I better fill the silence. Yeah. Right? <clears throat> yeah, but that is so hard for me in particular. Like, and I know, again, there's dead air when we're talking on this podcast, but I need to take a deep breath and just get present and actually kind of feel in my body, like what in the heck is going on in this moment? Yeah. And I love that you do that. Thank you. I, no, I learned, I, I'm not joking when I talk, I talk about it and I say, yeah, it's so great. Cause you know, it's like being really present with the question, being really present with, well, whatever's going on. I have to tell you, I think it drives my husband crazy. <laughs> <laughs> so, and I'm going to answer your question, um, but I, and, but you know, he's, you know, a New Yorker and he wants everything fast. And I um, am a very slow processor because I take this uh, long moment before I react, react. I don't, I don't react quickly and I think it drives him crazy, but Back to... You don't react, and, and so you respond. I work right. hard to do that. I and know that, you do. I work hard to do that. Right, and that's, what, that's why this is why I'm so excited to have you on, because I want people to experience that about you. That is the product of a lot of work. Yeah, and I feel like that is what mental toughness is all about. Mm -hmm. I mean, going back to that question, for me, mental toughness is the ability to make a conscious choice of what thought you would like to feed. Wow, let's go ahead and repeat that because that's, that's, that's a bell ringer right there. Can you say that over? So Don't have to be being, verbatim. Yeah, yeah. Mental toughness yeah. is being strong enough to choose consciously what thought or line of thinking you would like to feed. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. So in order to even, so in order to even understand that sentence, right, we have to understand something before that, which is that I have thoughts, but I am not my thoughts, right? That I, there's something that I can do. This is why the tough talk show exists. Damn it. Is because I didn't have a class in school at any level, any, including grad school. 
that address this head on? I don't know. Did you? You have a PhD in psychology. Did you have any courses that actually were predicated upon like examining your thoughts and becoming a master of them? The only thing would be Eastern philosophy. So, you know, if I took a course or and I think in my PhD program, I did some work, you know, where I did like Buddhist study or Eastern philosophical studies. And of course, that's the foundation mm -hmm. of so much of Eastern philosophy is that you are not your thoughts and that your thoughts are so impermanent that they're just popping, popping, popping. And so you don't need to act on every thought train, out of control thought train that's coming your way. Mm -hmm. So I think that's the only place where I started. I mean, that was really my awakening of like, oh yeah, I don't need to, I can really critically examine my thoughts. I don't need to buy into every thought that I have. You know, you just used a term that I want you to uh, elaborate upon or explain. Okay, because I think it's a, it's, it's a, I use it a lot. And I know that as soon as you said, I'm like, yeah, well, that's where I, this is who I learned it from. You just used the term thought train. Could you explain what that even means? Well, when I think about a thought train, and, and I really believe in neuropsychology and neural pathways, and, and I believe that so much of our thought trains are kind of conditioned neural pathways that we just fire and fire and fire. Someone cuts you off in traffic, you fire this neural pathway, and it's releasing chemicals, and then you're on the crazy train. Mm -hmm. You know, you are off and running on the crazy train. Okay. So, mm -hmm. so um, it's, it's about being mindful, going back to mindfulness, being mindful and slowing it down enough that you don't need to react and go on that tra crazy train unless you choose mindfully to do it. Sometimes I'll be like, all right, I'm going to be like a total crazy victim person right now. <laughs> no. I tell those <laughs> stories too. Which is, and I love that. <clears throat> Let me just tell one now. So oh. you come into the office, right? <clears throat> and I'd be sitting at my desk and I'd see you walk up the stairs and you'd walk in and plop down in the big green cushy chair. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, and, and I'd say, how are you? And you would take, take a pause. Take a pause. <clears throat> and then you would go, sometimes when it was true for you, you would say, I'm fucking pissed. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to speak like a victim right now. So can I do that? Can I, and I'm like, I love you. Just go for it. Bring it. Bring it. Bring it hard. Right, right. I'm, like, I'm doing this on purpose. And we're like, all right, good. We're good now. Right. Yeah, you do it on purpose. So, so you said just there in the explanation of the thought train, you said if we can only slow it down enough. Okay. So I think we need to go there. That's like, a huge like, thing. Yeah, right. Like, so like someone says, okay, well, that sounds easy. Um, can you just give me a little mechanics on that? How do I do that? Yeah. Well, I always talk about, and th these, this, these things we're talking about are so basic and so freaking hard to do, especially when you're emotionally hijacked, which is, you know, you're, again, you're emotionally hijacked on the crazy train, which has all of your chemicals flaring, you know, your spouse just made you mad or whatever's going on. But, um, Going back to what you you asked about, wait, what did you ask about? My yeah, so so, I'm, so I want to. I, I really want people to take at least one thing away from every one of these tough talks yeah. uh, conversations. That's like a, a thing. You know exactly where I'm going with this. Is is like an uh, an infinitely unambiguous, concrete as hell, and powerful freaking 
thing, exercise, practice, discipline, something to go do. Yeah. Right. So, so that they can have, so that they can up level their experience of life, whether it's in sport or in business or just freaking being happy. Well, mine is so boring. I feel like this is going to be so boring. <laughs> okay, well, I'll, we'll be So let's just one. start that. I'll just say it. Mm-hmm. This, is, this is one, and I think we can do a lot of them. You mm-hmm. and I can do a lot of them because I am very practical. I want to give people practical stuff. But yeah. the first thing that you're talking about is something I say all the time, which is you got to slow down to wake up. Okay. And I really believe that, that you have to – force yourself to slow down in order to achieve, at least in the beginning, to rewire your brain. Mm-hmm. Because mental toughness is a mental conditioning program. I mean, it isn't, you know, wake up and you're mentally tough. Again, you have to work it, work it. Mm-hmm. And the first, I don't think you can do it unless you do the first thing, which is slowing down. And that might be slowing down your walk, mm. focusing on your breathing, slowing down, taking the pause, mm. slowing down your responses, um, and, and practicing being present. I'm remembering one of the few weekend workshops that you facilitated, which mm-hmm. had different names. Rafiki, Rafiki stick, screaming run naked. Um, <clears throat> screaming run naked is a great name, isn't it? <laughs> Thank you. That comes, yeah. Title of your book. Yeah. Um, one of your books. Uh, it comes from. Wait, I, I know this. Oh, this. Oh, it's escaping me. It was a story about one of your professors or something? Yeah, yeah. It was a story about my professor in grad school. And I was going through the motions of grad school, as so many of us do. You know, woke up, go to class, do homework, worked, fell asleep. And I said to my professor, who I really admired, because he just had this, he had this red hair. His name is Dr. Rick Lesh. And um, he had this red hair, and he was a searcher and a seeker. And I really looked up to him and I said to him, how do you feel alive? How do you feel alive in a world where everything that's thrown out you seems to be designed to deaden you? Mm. And he said, and he said, Ali, this is what I do. And I believe this is true. I don't think this is a metaphor. He said, during the winter, when it's cold, I go out on my property and I take off all my clothes and I just start running through the forest, screaming at the top of my lungs, naked. That's how I feel alive, he said to me. I was like, oh, all right, really? <laughs> do I have to do that? Oh, oh. That's cool. So that's what those workshops yeah. were called. And those workshops, and I'm sad that I don't do them anymore, but they were so beautiful. And so many people screamed and ran naked. I never got naked at them. Uh, you screamed, though. I I did. I got emotionally naked. Mm-hmm. And the thing that I was thinking of that even had me bring this up was the slowing down. And so I remember doing mindfulness walks. You would have us go out and, I mean, really slow down. To the, and then, you know, we're out. At, we're in a public place. And people are looking at you like you're a whack job, like some nutcase, because we're not speaking. A bunch of people are walking around ridiculously slowly, like paying attention to tree bark. <laughs> and there were no substances involved. <laughs> you know, this is simply the practice of, of slowing down. And I remember simultaneously feeling, the first time I did that, awkward, 
and really pleasant. Right? Like, like simultaneously, yeah. like that. This is socially goofy. I feel awkward because I'm conscious of maybe people looking at me. And yeah, and just being conscious of like giving a damn about what other people are thinking about me. Yeah, yeah. So that was part of the experience, <clears throat> which has its own unique value. Mm -hmm. But, um, well, yeah, because that part that's your inner chatter that's that keeps you from slowing down in your normal life as well. Oh, wow. Huh. Right. Like, and that's what that was all about to see what in those controlled situations, what is your mind doing to sabotage you being present or you being, being even able to slow down? Right. Right. Okay. So that's the perfect, that's it. That's the explanation of why I felt that like dichotomous, I had that dichotomous experience. One is unpleasant because I'm like awkward. This is not conforming with what I've been conditioned to believe is normal. And then and the other is, this is actually pretty damn chill. This is like, this is very, wow. Like all the beauty that I'm missing out by hustling, right? Frantically or, or mindlessly through my life. So, so slowing down, slowing down, you had, yeah. you taught me also the mindfulness uh, meal. Oh yeah. Which I still do once in a while. Take like going out to eat by myself and taking it. I used to do it at Monty's, but that place is gone now. That was my go-to spot for, I don't know why that started, but that became. Mindfulness Monty's. Mindfulness at Monty's. Right. Yeah. Right. yeah, yeah. And getting a steak and a glass of wine and taking two hours to eat it. That's you know, awesome. Paying attention to the to the, all of it to the um, to the anticipation, even right? Yeah, yeah. The full experience, the smells, the aromas. I remember doing it in Hawaii once. Uh, oh, when we were in Hawaii? No, when it was it was one of the trips to, to Hawaii. It wasn't the one that, that we were. That was fat, wow, what a time that was. That was two thousand. That was nine eleven. We were in nine. Kauai. We were yeah, we were in Kauai on nine eleven. Yeah, it was crazy. That was, that was very, that was, of course, it was surreal for everybody on the planet, I'm sure. And it, it was as well for us. We were out there to, to give a talk at a five-star resort mm. in Poipu Bay. And it, yeah, that was, a, wow. Yeah. I can never forget that. No. Okay, so go ahead. Yeah, I was going to just talk about, for a second, going with, with slowing the heck down. Right. And... You know, I've been singing this REM song lately that I love called uh, Find the River. And it starts, he says, you know, hey there, little speedy head. <laughs> and he said, you know, it's time to go to task in the city where people drown and people serve. And I, I do think that's so true that so much of the American machine is designed to deaden. I think so much of our pace so much of our career choices, so much of the whole thing with consumerism and debt. Um, if you do not transcend the machine, then I think you, you, a lot of people do feel kind of a deadness. And that's what slowing down can do. It can help you wake up. Um, it can help you wake up. And, and sometimes that's not a good thing because sometimes you wake up and you think, oh, I feel some pain right now mm. you know and then what am i going to do with that so um but i do think the first step of controlling and being mentally tough is slowing down so you can have some kind of awareness of your crazy monkey mind okay so <clears throat> so the practices right to bring this into like the world of like okay how do i do that then how again do i how do i slow down so we mentioned a couple things one is a mind as a mindfulness 
well, mindfulness exercises, mindfulness walk, mindfulness meal. But with respect to slowing down your your responses, like how do you how do you start to teach someone how to slow down their thinking? Well, I talk a lot about like getting into a bubble, mm. and you know, I work with my athletes on getting into a bubble. Um, I work with a lot of the adults I work with about mm. finding their bubble. Um, with, and your bubble is like your ideal mental state as an athlete, as a person. And usually to get into your bubble, we activate these three things that I call the triangle of creation, which is body, mind, and spirit. Mm. And I feel like that is the tool that like the universe gave us to create that when we want to create anything, if it's a new job, if it's mindfulness, whatever we want to create, we're going to activate body, mind, and spirit. And just to talk about that a little bit, your body is how you like hold yourself, how you hold your face, your eyes. So if you feel like you're rushing, you might, again, slow down your body by just how you're holding yourself or the pace that you're walking to the car. Your mind is going to be your self-talk or creating a mantra. And you know that word mantra. I love it. I love it. I love it. It means protector of the mind. And so when- I did not know that. You didn't know that? Dude. How do I get this far into this deal? I use that word 40 times a day. Mantra. Really? Mantra is a Sanskrit word that means protector of the mind. God, I did. (laughs) It's awesome. Yeah. I love that. Yeah, it's like okay, the best thing Thank ever. you for that. Yeah. That's a huge nugget for me. It's beautiful. Huge. Protect and so when mind. you create a mantra, like I trust this life or slow and steady, whether you be an athlete where your mantra might be like, I've got this, or whether you be a parent, and I've been working a lot on parenting because I feel like there's nothing that makes you lose your crap more than parenting. You know, I became a mom at um, 47 years old. Hello. And even after these years of study, there's nothing that makes you lose your crap more than parenting. So except maybe marriage, marriage. Do. <laughs> okay. Oh, okay. I have to take your word on both of those. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Sister. Right. Okay. Right. So you activate your body by changing your body. You activate your mind by creating a mantra, like be here now, slow it down whatever it is, and then you create your spirit. And the way we do spirit is by using and utilizing the breath. And the word respiration or the word breath, which again, you might know because I'm really into root words. Um, The word breath comes from respiration or breath of God. So respiration and spirit come from the same Latin root. So when you're breathing in- Respirate, respirit. Yes, yes. Respire, right? Respirate, respirit. Yes. All right. I can think that. So as you breathe, you're filling yourself up, not only with air, but with like an emotion, like maybe you're breathing in peace or you're breathing in chill or so Mm -hmm. I think to really start to activate is helping people create a great bubble using their, I say, breathing brain and body, using their breath, using a statement or a mantra and using like their face and their body language or how they're walking, kind of changing that triangle of breathing brain and body. Okay, so then, um, then someone could reasonably expect then that if I practice that, if I make that part of my daily experience, right, even just for a few minutes more or just a few minutes a day and then maybe a few more minutes, 
what, what, what might I expect to see happen in my life uh, on any of those three levels, physically, uh, emotionally is the second one, and spiritually? Yeah, yeah. Um, well, first of all, I want to say that this isn't just psychology. This is biology. Okay. And what you're doing is you're forming a new neural pathway mm -hmm. that then has a tendency to fire when you're in stressful situations or when you want it to fire. So again, neural pathways, you either feed them and they wire together mm. or you're not feeding them and they prune. Thank mm freaking God for neuroplasticity and that's happening. Sorry to go a little science on you, but so when you are doing, you know, when you're creating your bubble and you're doing your breath, your statement, your face, you're building this pathway, which is going to help you. First of all, notice what's amazing about your life. Mm. Mm. That's the first thing you're going to see. You're going to be like, wow, my life's pretty cool. <laughs> I have a lot, I have a lot going on to be grateful for. And mm. then you start to feel grateful and then your body starts releasing those feel good chemicals. Mm. And then the greatest thing that happens is then you, your body wants those chemicals and then you start doing it more often because your body craves them. And then you notice more gratitude and then you're programming your entire being to be a being of gratitude. Hmm. You know, another term that you used earlier in the conversation that I, that I have not heard before from you, or maybe anywhere, <clears throat> is, uh, I think you call it the American machine? <laughs> did I say the, I said, did I say the American machine? Yeah, you, you've dropped that twice. Oh. <laughs> no, I, I want to know what that means. Like, I, I think I have a pretty good guess as, what, as to what you mean by that, but I don't want to guess. I just want to listen. Well, I mean, I don't mean to go into politics and, and this goes beyond any current president or, and this has been going on way longer than maybe two years or three years, but we have this producer consumer machine. Yeah. That's what I thought you meant. Yeah. And it's, it's like produce more, consume more. I'm not cool unless I have the greatest thing. And so you start to feed yourself very early. You start to feed your uncomfortability or your pain or your boredom with stuff and things. And that keeps you kind of trapped in this matrix, which we both, which we love that movie, you know, yeah. and it does. We are in this prison of the American or, or the, the, it's not just American. It's like an industrialized yeah. earth yeah. Yeah. machine that is very deadening, I think, and, and very painful for a lot of people. There's a lot of people suffering a lot. Okay. So that reminds me of like the, um, the story of the Mexican fisherman and the American businessman, right? Which is story. Do you know that story? I don't think so. So the short version is, is that this, like, uh, and I'm using air quotes here. If you're just listening, the six, there's a really successful, American businessman, which just means uh, he's created a lot of money. That's all that means, right? And, and then he's on holiday, which he calls vacation, <laughs> in, <clears throat> at this Mexican fishing village. And he goes out for a walk one late morning, and he's uh, down to the fishing village, and all the boats are out. And he sees one boat coming back in and uh, with one fisherman in it and a whole bunch of huge yellowfin tuna. 
So the fisherman docks and the American businessman says, wow, that's amazing. You must be uh, really good at what you do. And he goes, yeah, I, I am. <laughs> and, and then the businessman says with this completely confused expression, like, well, why the hell are you coming in so early then? Like, why don't you stay out and catch more? And, and the, the fisherman is starting to unload his fish with a smile. And he's like, oh, this is more than enough to provide for my family. And my knees. Uh, and the businessman says, well, what the hell do you do with the rest of your day? And he can't even compute this. Like he's just seeing this guy is like lazy. And he goes, well, what, what do you do with the rest of your day? And the fisherman, again, very joyfully, as he's unloading these fish, says, oh, well, I sleep in. I go out, fish a little, do a good job. And I, I come back, I sell the fish, and I go home and have lunch with my, my amazing wife, Maria. And then I take siesta, and then I... Um, Play with my kids, and I go into the into the village and um, sip wine and play guitar with my amigos. I have a very full and rewarding life. <laughs> and then the businessman scoffs and he says, "Like, okay, I can help you." <laughs> and you can see the fisherman is probably like just thinking, "Here we go, here we okay, really? What? Okay, lay it on me. What do you got for me there, guru?" And the businessman tells gives him this long lecture about how you should stay out longer and catch more fish and with the proceeds buy another boat and then buy a fleet of boats and build a business and blah 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 and then eventually move the, the company to mexico city maybe la ultimately new york and the mexicans just going still unloading his fish smiling saying oh really how long will all this take and he goes okay oh, 15 20 years and then what and then he goes well then that's the best part the business end says that's the best part is you, you know you could sell your you could make take your company public and get really rich and then the fisherman says, wow, really, then what? And he goes, well, then you could retire to a small coastal fishing village where you could sleep in a little bit, go fishing, catch some, come home, have lunch with your wife, take siesta. <laughs> right? And, and so that's what I'm hearing about the, the machine. The yes. more for its own sake. Yes. Yes. Yeah? Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> I, think, I think, again, um, I think when we start to wake up, and we start to slow it down, like what we're talking about, then you can really look and think, instead of running, 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 like a gerbil on a wheel, and that's definitely how I felt for a lot of my early life. Um, you know, when you slow down, then you can really say like, what brings me joy? What do I want to uh, do today? What do I want to remember on my last days? Um, so I remember, I remember Jack Cornfield at that retreat, and I think it's a pretty famous quote by Jack Cornfield. He said, you know, at the end of your life, you just ask you, you know, you just ask yourself, did I love well, you know, and, and we've all heard those stories about at the end of your life. It doesn't really matter how much money you have and all that. It's just, you know, did I live big and did I love well? Mm -hmm. You know, yeah, we have heard all those stories yet. Apparently the, the, the machine right? The conditioning it has us hear those stories very temporarily, right? Okay. Yeah. So we, so we've got, so we, all right. So we're aware of a few things here we have, and I, and I don't want to, I'm not a conspiracist and neither are you, <laughs> right? But we, we don't want to ignore the fact that there is a powerful, powerful influence on us at all times right? Through, through all, so many sources, loved ones even, right? And of course, media uh, that is suggesting that our lives are inadequate, that we're inadequate, that we need more, uh, like more money, more things, more power, more, 
more. We need to be liked more. We need to manage people's opinions on us and all this shit. That would, that would interfere with our ability to experience the beauty as you described that exists. Right. So that, that yeah. sounds like really bad news. Yeah. Yeah. That's bad news. You're right. That's very bad news. So, so what's the good news? Where's the good news? <laughs> The good news, where is the good news? The good news is there is a way out. Ah, okay. There is a way out. <clears throat> when I was, um, I was in Thailand yeah. and I would see these monks that just, I, I was in this monastery and um, I would see these monks that had dedicated their life to being monks. They dedicated their life just to meditate and to um, serve. Mm. And the, the poor people the, of the Thai community that I was staying in, they also served the monastery. And I remember sitting there one day and I was thinking, do I want to move here? You know, because mm -hmm. I, I was like, oh, I want to move here and I want to be a monk too. And this is it. Just kind of check out. Because I always had this desire of, of, of checking out, of checking out of this kind of, again, American rat race at, or consumerism. Mm -hmm. And I remember that as I sat in meditation that day, a vision came to me that I was <laughs> supposed to be a lifeguard on Samsara Beach. Now, Samsara is the Buddhist word that means like the craziness of this life. And I remember that I had this vision of like I was sitting mindful in the lifeguard tower and people were like drowning in Samsara Beach of all mm. that hellishness of what we're talking about and I would help to pull them out and help to pull them out and help to pull them out and so I guess for me the good news is that if you just sit and open your eyes mm -hmm. that the beauty will unfold around you and if you just sit and look at the world with a sense of wonder, then it's there. Like you don't have to find anything. It's there. And it's even there in the crazy. Like you could be in the craziest situation that you have ever been in. I, and I think you and I talked about like these American beauty moments. I remember mm -hmm. that was really um, big for me in our relationship that I remember we were eating at Bluefin and <laughs> Yeah. And this homeless guy walked by and this, this. Oh, with the tape shoes. Yeah. And, and you really helped me say like, and we stopped and we said like, how amazing is this moment? Mm. And that moment is happening in every moment, even in crazy moments. You could be in the biggest conflict with your coworker. And if you sit and breathe, you can be like, Oh my God, this is so crazy. And even have a sense of humor or wonder. So the good news is that if you can break free of the brainwash, the beauty mm. unfolds. Mm. So behind you is a sign, <clears throat> says Head Games Webcamp, right? It says yeah, create yeah. an unshakable mind. Yeah. Yeah. So how come the terminology unshakable? I guess um, when I talk about unshakable, I mean being able to hold steadfast to who you want to be. And um, if your mind does go into those places, 
that you can still stay in an, un in an unshakable observer place and watch your mind go to those places, which is still kind of this steadfast position. It's kind of like viewing, unshakable to me is kind of viewing the world from the eye of the storm. That even though the storm is crazy and blowing all around you, that there's this part of you that remains unshakable. There's this part of you that can sit in the eye, in that place of stillness, mm, mm. and still, and still, even fully participate in your crazy life, you know. But still, you have this part of you that's unshakable. You know, do do you what in your work uh, with young gymnasts? Yeah. Do you ever have conversations like like that? What you're just saying there. Oh yeah, like I do, yeah, all the time. Cool. Like I do exercises, you know, I'm really into exercises and drills. Yes. And I work with my athletes through exercises and drills. So we might have a drill where they like draw a tornado and they draw the eye and then they establish what their eye feels like using probably breathing brain and body. Mm. And then they imagine all these chaotic situations and they still breathe in the eye. Or I might talk about how they're a boat on the ocean of life and yeah. there's tons of ups and downs, but their thoughts are going to control the height of those waves and the difference between tsunami thoughts and the difference between smooth sailing. So, so I try to break it down with all the athletes I work with. And I work predominantly cool. with like college to eight like I see eight-year-olds and yeah. we're talking about their little boat on the ocean of life and yeah. what's going to be a thought that's a tsunami thought that makes you feel totally sad and, and fearful and out of control and what's kind of like your smooth sailing kind of mantras. So yeah, I do all kinds of drills to make it super concrete, super concrete. You know, I'm surprised that I don't have the answer to this following question. Um, you've worked with so many Olympians. Mm -hmm. And um, have you done it much like post gymnastics career work with any of them? Yeah, yes, definitely. Definitely. I see a lot of people in transition, whether it's an Olympian or whether it's a college athlete. You know, there's a uh, lot okay. of athletes yeah. that I work with during their senior year of college that are facing yeah. like a huge, a huge transition and kind of a re-identity process. You know, who am I without this identity right. that right. I've had since I was six years old? Right. You sure don't need to be an Olympian to have that, right? Yeah. So, so your, your career after college then is likely over? Yeah, but hopefully if, if a lot of these kids, some of them have worked with me since they were little, uh -huh. and we start that stuff when we're little. I mean, we uh -huh. talk about, even when you're little, little, what's your gift? Uh -huh. you know, your gift is not that you're a gymnast, or your gift is not that you're a soccer player, or whatever it is. What's your gift, and are you giving it? So, um, mm. so, so I think... Okay. Once you, because if you don't know your gift as a person, it's hard to perform at those elite levels anyway, because you put too much pressure on yourself. So it's all part of that unleashing. To be able to unleash, to perform or live big, then you have to get out of just having an identity of one thing, because then it puts too much pressure on that one thing. Okay, that's worth repeating as well, which is you said if you don't know your gift, it's hard to perform at the elite level because you're putting too much pressure on yourself. Mm -hmm. so, so as I hear you say that, you know, I think, cause I'm doing a lot of work these days with sales people, sales professionals and, and, and uh, sales leaders. Yeah. And I hear that as ridiculously valuable to them. 
as well. I'm, I'm sure that there's no human that that sentence is not useful for. No, I mean, because your purpose is your foundation of everything. And your, your purpose or your gift or what you were born to do to change the loony balloon, as we said earlier. So that's the foundation of everything, whether you're talking to a coworker or whether you're in the grocery store. So always being, to, being able to come back to that foundation of ground, like grounded in purpose. And there's a very, I mean, everyone's talking about like, what's your why? What's your why? Yeah. And, uh, I think that is important. I mean, you have to, you have to know kind of what your underlying purpose is underneath all the, the frills of your job. Yeah. I'm glad that more people are talking about that. I am too. That that's a, becoming a normalized dialogue. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know? I, and I think it really is, which is awesome. Yeah. I think when you know your why, it's so much easier to stay in that bubble because that why just serves as a foundation for it. Where should it's people all, it's go? All connected. To say, it's, all, sorry? it's all connected. It's all connected. And, and we're all connected. Yes, we are. And if we could slow down enough, then we could feel that some more. Yes, for sure, for sure. Yes. If we could feel that some more. We could live that some more. If we live that some more, then we're all going to be better off. Yeah. So your website is headgamesworld.com. It is. So it's your is. Facebook handle, right? Headgamesworld. Mm -hmm. And also on Instagram. Mm hmm. Head Games World. Are those the best places for people to go follow you and, and, and connect with you if they wanted to? Yeah, I think so. And I do a lot of work. You'll see on my stuff right now, I do a lot of work with athletes. But I also do personal coaching stuff as well. And I'm well, also... Well, tell us a little bit more about that and yeah, where people can... How, do you, how would you want people... What's, what's the basis of that work? Who, who are you working with? Who would you be interested in serving? Yeah, well, all of those things are people that feel like there's a deadness in their life and feel like they need to unleash to um, really kind of take everything there is out of life. Mm. Um, so those are mainly who I'm working on with right now. Yeah. And, but I'm launching a new product in the next couple of months. Oh, here we go. Yeah, yeah. And I kind of alluded to it early earlier. Okay. And what it is is that in my experience of being a parent, there is nothing to help parents stay mentally tough wow. in the midst of chaos. Hmm. And there's a lot of parenting books and child psychology books and books about this is what you need to do with your kids. But what I experienced is how can you do those things when you've, you're losing your cool all the time? Right. So I'm just releasing a product called Parent Bubble, which is for parents and parents-to-be, which is totally a mental toughness training program, step-by-step, step, to help you be able to keep your cool in the midst of chaos. That and is kick-ass. So when can, I'm putting, I'm tightening the screws now. Yeah. I mean, wow, how valuable is that? So when, when is that going to be? out and available. Yeah, I think it should be done in about in about three months. And again, there's okay, nothing so this out is being there. recruited on April 2nd of 2019. So we're thinking summer of 2019. Yes. That'll be yes. available. All right. Yes. And where and then where will people because there'll be people listening to this long after that. So right. where um, do they go to get it? I think um, you'll be able to get it at the 
parentbubble.com. All right, I'm going to put that in the show notes. But not yet. Okay. <laughs> and there's nothing out there for this. And it even works to help you get in the bubble with like elderly parents, because that's what I'm dealing with now more in my life is, is my parents are aging. And I feel like there's a turn with that too, where I have to be in my bubble. Mm. Like you can do it with, with so much besides just your kids. But I have to say, you know, your kids, they trigger you all the time. And I find that parents have no coping mechanisms to deal with their own emotions. So Parent Bubble will help you train your mind like the mind of an elite athlete. So I have a request of you then, which I was going to request anyway, but now we have to do it. Can we please revisit as soon as that is out? Yeah, that'd be awesome. As soon as that comes out, let's have a conversation. Let's, let's just talk about that. Okay? That sounds perfect. Because I, I see that it's incredible. It's, of course, it's an unbelievably valuable. Yeah. Yeah, it's hard to keep your cool as a parent. Yeah, it's hard. Yeah, and you're right. Like, I've never seen, now I'm not a parent, so I've never shopped for it, but you know, I've worked with a jillion parents as well in the helping, you know, all the capacities. Mental toughness for the parent, I've never seen it, anything. Yeah, there's lots Nothing. of parenting classes and lots of, again, like, this is what you should do as or a like parent. How to discipline and all that. Right. right. Setting and, and all that stuff, but nothing for your own mental health. No, so that you can do these things, that you can actually act the way you learned in the book, or you can act the way that you learned at church. Wherever your tools come from is cool, but you got to be able to be able to reach those tools and not feel like you're totally losing control or you're emotionally hijacked, or you end up being a bad parent, and then you end up feeling bad or that you're messing up your kid, and you feel horrible about yourself. Right on. So, so that's a yes? So we can that's count on you to come back? Yes. Of course. In a few months after Yes, for sure. For sure. Okay, because we have a lot more to talk about. Doc Alley, thank you so much for your time, your wisdom, and your thank spirit. You. I love thank you. Thank you, my friend. I love you so too. All right. So we'll talk to you again soon. All right. Bye, everyone. One of my favorite things has all, about Doc Alley has always been the fact that she's so unapologetic about continuing to uh, consistently emphasizing some of the simplest and most profound things. And, and, and you know, that by the way, is like my favorite combo platter in all of life, simple, profound. And uh, I love how she, you know, she, she slows it down, right? Enough to, to honor things like, but well, slowing down and, and breath, right? Importance of breathing. Uh, but what it really means to slow down, I love how committed Allie is to to having the practice of mental training not be theoretical, to not be ephemeral. I'm not sure if that's the right word. Feel free to correct me. To not have it be uh, foo-foo. <laughs> to have it be practical, right? I cannot believe I am actually almost embarrassed. If I was a little less mentally tough myself, I'd say I'm embarrassed and ashamed that I didn't know that the word mantra is Sanskrit for protector of the mind. That is so, I'm so, that's my favorite takeaway from the whole damn conversation. Now, stay tuned because we're going to obviously have Doc Alley back. I'm glad that she let us know there at the end that she's coming out with one of her newest projects. And she puts a lot of effort into these things. She takes this shit serious. When she creates something, she goes all in on it. So I'm looking forward to seeing the parent bubble, right? Mental toughness for parents, which, uh, which I think is just a brilliant creation. So we're going to have her back in a few months uh, when that's complete. 
and uh, and we're going to we'll, we'll take it deeper. Maybe we'll just focus a little bit on the mental toughness of parenting. So stay tuned for that. Thanks as always for tuning in to Tough Talks, and we'll see you in the next episode.